Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Matt D'Elia is Confused. My guest this week is conservative commentator Ben Howe. Ben is a columnist, he's an author, and he's an evangelical Christian. Put all those things together and you get the recent book that he wrote called The Immoral Majority, Why Evangelicals Chose Political Power Over Christian Values. I read the book, I loved the book, it blew my mind. I knew I had to have Ben on the podcast. I reached out to him and he agreed. And we had an amazing conversation. Um, A little context before you guys hear it. The book is about something that has long confused the shit out of me, which is how evangelicals came to not only support, but love Donald Trump as much as they do. Um. The conversation covers a lot, but it's all basically centered around that. Um, And the book helped me make sense of it. And Ben really helps me make sense of it in our conversation. And yeah, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So here is my conversation with Ben Howe, writer of The Immoral Majority. Okay. is to 2011 um i i was at that time still very heavily involved in republican and conservative politics i wrote for redstate.com um i had been active in the tea party uh, i was uh just generally your typical activated conservative sure and i was at the uh, uh cpac convention and donald trump was coming to speak, and it was very controversial because so many people in the conservative movement did not find him to be a credible uh, um, speaker right. in terms of you know what the purposes of the conference was. Mm-hmm. Uh, his life and his his public identity had just never really lined up with conservatism in that way. Right, and uh, it was kind of like a, a moment that you would have thought would just kind of fade away. Right. Uh, you know, and it kind of did. He, he toyed with running for president. Barack Obama um, was very popular. He decided not to run. And later that year, he, like, had a book that he brought out, and then Romney asked for his endorsement. And so, sure, he he's – the idea was he's probably going to be a guy who's going to be around for a while right. in politics, but he's not, he's not a contender, no matter how much he talks about right. running for president. 
every time he floated it, the general consensus was this guy just wants to sell books. You know? <laughs> sure, yeah. And uh, then in 2015, when he said when he announced, it was kind of surprising. Everybody always thought this guy's never meaning it. He's always just trying to create buzz. Right. So he comes down the escalator and, you know, gives his uh, opening speech. And I think that I assumed that nobody would take him seriously. And a lot of people didn't, but way more did than I expected. Right. Um, now, at first, my objections to it were really just typical partisan things. I, I was just concerned about what I thought his brand of politics would would do to the Republican Party. Right. Make it difficult to sell conservatism in the future. Um, but around June, when his uh, candidacy was pretty much he was inevitably going to become the nominee, mm -hmm. there was this gathering of a thousand evangelical leaders um, he got multiple standing ovations. They started using prophetic language to describe him. Um, these rationalizations for supporting somebody of uh, his character in light of how character had been such an issue previously for the evangelical movement with Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. it just really seemed like something was amiss. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard a lot of people saying lesser evil arguments, whatnot. It wasn't until after... He was elected, and the language started to increase, and I saw leaders, especially leaders, but even just, you know, congregant-level evangelicals mm -hmm. um, going out of their way to kind of spin stuff that he did that I, I know they would have previously said was negative as a positive, and still using that kind of religious language around it. But I was like, yeah, this is a this is an issue. And it's not an issue just about, like, the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. It is an issue in the church, and it is an issue in the church and a faith that I have always called home. And so I just felt compelled to write what I thought was happening and why it's bad. Right. So I think your, I mean, your perspective is uh, incredibly unique for, for many reasons. But I think one reason that I, I was so sort of taken by the book and the way you frame it is that you yourself being an evangelical and sort of tracking it in with the long view because myself being on the left and being a liberal and I did like Obama and and obviously I thought I shared with you this idea that well no one's going to take Trump seriously but for me it was like I was blindsided the way your yeah. book frames it is that it was this long time coming thing it was right. and that's something I actually would not say I realized until I wrote it, oh. um, you know, so as I was, you know, as I was writing it, as I started to write it, it, it seemed to me at the time to be a typical, um, some bad players have gotten into high positions yeah. and they are influencing a lot of people to see things a certain way. Yeah. And that was originally kind of the story that I was going to tell. I had written an article uh, the Atlantic, um, after provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos um, was invited to CPAC, and then his, uh, something came out about, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But, yeah, yeah, totally, um, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I have, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Something came out where it was a clip of him essentially downplaying the, the, the idea of pedophilia being a bad thing. Yeah. And 
suddenly CPAC retracted. So I wrote an article and I said, you know, here's the problem right here. Yeah. You know, with with people who are trying to be pragmatic about the kind of influence that the individual with his low character will attract to the movement of conservatives or evangelicals or whatever, when the church gives that blessing, this is what they're inviting and these are the problems we're going to have, which I think you'll agree has proven true throughout his presidency. Yeah, yeah. So, So I started out just kind of, you know, hey, leaders, get your act together. But, you know, you're writing a book, you go back a little further mm-hmm. because the I didn't want to assume, even though I, I wrote this from a Christian perspective, I didn't want to assume everybody really knew for sure what an evangelical was. Right, right. Um, and while I had my own thoughts on evangelicalism, I didn't realize how much my understanding of it had been colored by my own parents who are great people. Right, yeah. <laughs> And I think that I just – I was a little blindsided even in doing my own research in figuring out that, no, this has always been about power. Mm. But the Republican Party just played ball for so long. Yeah. So you've got George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, so on. Mm-hmm. Agree or disagree with their policy, with their politics, it's not nearly as hard to make the case – that this person is has a moral fortitude that's reflective of what the evangelical movement claimed they were looking for. Right. They don't make it that difficult. Yeah. Um, Trump does. Well, when Trump started making that more difficult, the cognitive dissonance had to go up. Yeah. And it just became a different story to me. It's not that Donald Trump has caused a problem. It's that he's revealed one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the way you sort of tr- track it, uh, uh, the section where you sort of you get into uh, the outrage and sort of unfairness that the left played with uh, in mm-hmm. terms of their um, the way they would talk about Bush and sort of uh, mm-hmm. label everything an outrage or he's a racist or this or that, and it went right. so far as to sort of curb or or sort of. S- the, the attempt was to sideline, uh, I think, the the right and the religious right in particular as sort of right. freaks and people who aren't using their brains and and so forth. And I think right. what what bitter clingers and things r- like that. Right. Yeah. And then I think what what I'm particularly sort of interested in is that sort of you you describe it as this pendulum swing, which I think is 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 you know, uh, a common, but really effective way to describe it because really it's, you know, the left gets madder and madder under Bush and they're mm-hmm. sort of ridiculing the people on the right. And then Obama comes and it just swings that much further the other way. And it, and right. it pits this one side so hard against the other that, that it sort of creates this lane for Trump to come right in and capitalize on the anger. Right. Which yeah. is, is, you know, traditionally, um, you know, the way you could describe it is conservatives were in a vulnerable spot. Right. You know, they were in a vulnerable spot to be taken advantage of because that's how, you know, resentment and vengeance. I mean, if you've got resentment for another group and you believe whether or not you're really being honest with yourself, if you believe that you've been trying to do the right things and are being treated unfairly, and you build this resentment, when somebody comes in and says, I can be the instrument of your vengeance, 
I think that that is a that is a very tempting thing for any person. And I don't believe Christians become some other kind of human when they become a Christian. That kind of defies the whole concept. Sure. So they're just as susceptible to that sort of thing as anyone else might be. The danger, the reason I think that even though they're not different kinds of humans, there is an additional danger involved is because it's one thing for a, you know, let's say 26% of, of people who um, supported Obama and had their own resentments for the right were being mean or unfair yeah. uh, or dishonest or whatever towards the right. Well, those people aren't connected. But in this instance, this is 26% of the electorate that are subscribing to the same faith and talking about the same God, and they're bringing in all powerfulness to their arguments to make the claim that their uh, cruelty, uh, meanness, uh, unfairness, bad faith, and that all of these things are in the service of an all-powerful supernatural creator of the universe. Right. So that's where things start to become less a joke cultish because, you know, we always use those terms when we're talking about fandoms. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, this is a cult. But no, that is how a cult starts. Yeah. It's when they start building something supernatural into a human. Right. Which is what they're doing here. It's interesting that, you know, to, just to my eye and I think to really any, probably everyone on the left, they look specifically at Trump and they think how – the fuck does uh, a Christian look at him as an instrument of their God? And I right. think that that it's sort of what your book does. It, it sort of like brings that gulf of impossibility, that impossibility of understanding that and sort of bridges that and makes it, it at least brings it closer for, for someone like myself to be to, to say, OK, well, now. I can see the sort of fomenting anger and this sort of mm -hmm. it, it just feels like one long, slow mind trick or rationalization or something. And, and I, right. and I, I, I'm, it starts in the church though. Okay. I mean, the, the, because the, the problem is, so I, I had a lot of advantages that made it possible, a ton of advantages that made it possible for me to write what I wrote. Mm -hmm. Uh, number one, I grew up in the home of a brilliant apologetics professor. Mm -hmm. This man understands theology, um, and theology was a part of my upbringing, and it's a part of how I think. But at church, on a general basis, that's not how it's been operating for quite a while since the introduction, really, of the megachurch. Mm. With the megachurch is, is more about trying to bring people in, which is a great sounding concept right but when you're trying to bring people in one of the quickest and easiest ways to do that is to make it easy by really just making it about day-to-day -day life yeah and uh, that's why a lot of people the criticism is that church these days is, is a lot like a big therapy session right but when you're talking about 2,000 years of study and um you know the it, the faith of an all-powerful creator and all of those aspects, theology has to be part of it. Because right. if you if you don't, if you just get the little pieces of it, well, then bad actors, bad leaders, bad people who 
either studied it more or have no shame or whatever, they can twist that theology that these people haven't been learning and rationalize it for them mm-hmm. so that, that they can go out, vote how they want, vote in their self-interests above uh, the concerns of others, and still look in the mirror and call themselves a good Christian. Right. So this is what I believe has happened. That's why all of the solutions in terms of the evangelical movement, they don't happen um, by defeating even like, uh, I don't know if you know who Tom Nichols is. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we were debating this yesterday because his idea was, you know, this is a, this is a problem that has to be dealt with at the ballot box. Mm. And I disagreed. I don't think it is. I think that the, the fervor that a lot of people have been feeling is growing as the sides become more divisive, yeah. people are left with a binary choice. You're with us or you're with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if nothing changes in the culture and in terms of evangelicals in the church, then nothing will change. It will get worse. And do you, you tracing this back, like try, trying to find like the root or the beginning of this sort of path? Because to me, it's like what, what you're saying makes me think once, okay, so once the church starts to tell its congregants that basically to, to not, to vote this way is to, is, is sort of condoned by the church and it's doing uh, the right thing in the name, uh, in the eyes of God, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> what, how does that track? Like, I mean, I know you talk about it in your book, but if you could just talk a, a little bit about to our listeners, like how the evolution of that sort of like, does that go, that goes back to like Reagan Falwell? Does that, when does that start to split and become this sort of uh, deep problem where it's, it's sort of specifically, you can look at the church and say, that's where it's happening. Well, I would say um, a lot of it, especially having lived most of my life, well, all of my life as an evangelical, I understand um, how any of these things might have involved good intent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you believe that that you uh, subscribe to a faith that has a moral backbone to it that is good and that, that people should like, mm-hmm. then it should make sense to you that you should want people in government that have those same kinds of morals. I think even somebody who's not a uh, religious could subscribe to that idea. You generally don't vote for people yes. that you that you think are morally outside of what's acceptable to you. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, their idea was, let's go to Washington and get a seat at the table so that we can always be saying, hey, there's a lot of us and this is what we expect from you. And, and they didn't say we expect the perfect person. They didn't say we expect you to be a Christian necessarily, although some or many have, have often had that litmus test. Right. But overall, it was we just want good people who want to do good things, and these are the things we think are good. Right. Well, that's the funny thing about politics and power is that it corrupts in ways that I don't think people um, – are prepared for. Mm. And one of the most insidious ways that power corrupts is 
it it can trick people into believing that they are needed. So, for mm. instance, I'll give you a good example. Um, Ted Cruz is an evangelical, mm -hmm. um, and he's a you know stalwart constitutional conservative and all of that. And his whole angle from the moment he started running was, I'm here to do what I think is right, what my voters asked me to do, and if anybody has any problem with it, they can vote me out of office. Mm -hmm. I don't need this job. Okay. All right. I find that to be a pretty good attitude. That's kind of the attitude that I look for. I've seen some Democrats who have that attitude as well, and I think it's the right attitude. Yeah. But it turned out to be baloney mm. because while he maintained that for a long time, even all the way to the RNC convention where he would not explicitly endorse Trump, right. the, the moment that the GOP threatened him, which is something that happened somewhat back channel, the moment they threatened his funding for his reelection campaign in 2018, if he didn't get behind Trump in 2016, he fell in line behind a guy who had accused his dad of murdering JFK <laughs> and blatantly said that his wife was gross. Yeah. So, uh, you know, why did he do that? I would guess he thought, well, it's better I'm here. Yeah. It's better I'm here to keep an eye on X, Y, and Z. No, that is power corrupting people into into overvaluing their place in things. So if you go back to the Falwell era when he first started, mm -hmm. uh, the movement, generally speaking, I mean, there were a lot of players, but he was one of the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. You know, they first came out in favor of Jimmy Carter, really. Hmm. Uh, and then they found his policies to be things they didn't like. They had very much adopted um, an anti-Rovers way position. Yeah. And they went for Reagan. Now, on the surface, none of this looks too disturbing yet. Right. They, they're just picking a candidate they think works for them. Uh, but by the 90s, they had become such a powerful group. They had become so important to Republican politics that politics did what it always does. It absorbed it yeah. and made it another demographic and another tool. So now, in addition to saying we're going to cut taxes, they also are saying, and we're going to protect God. Right, right. Well, if, you know, uh, Pat Buchanan and Jerry Falwell and Ralph Reed and, and Dobson and all these other guys that were powerful players at the time, if they want to keep their seat at the table, they have to play along. Right. And somewhere in their minds probably was the idea of the important thing is I'm here. Right. Uh, I don't think that that is currently what's happening. I think maybe that was happening with them. Yeah. But now we're in like a whole different generation of evangelical leaders, the sons of some of those people. And, you know, like Jerry Falwell yeah, Jr. Right. and, and um, um, uh, Franklin Graham. Yeah. I don't think a lot of those guys are thinking that way. I think those guys are very bottom line thinkers. Yeah. They're just like, I've got the power. I need to wield it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they strike me much, especially Jerry Falwell Jr. strikes me. I mean, even he just. It, he strikes me as just such a businessman first and yes. a, and a politician, even though he's not in politics. It's like he's playing this in, in this sandbox, uh, the same sandbox as Trump. And so I th that day you point to, I think, in the book, June 20th, 2016, right? Uh, yes. That sort of like marrying of Falwell Jr. and Trump as sort of like the moment he, the orthodoxy of the Republican Party sort of 
uh, merged with Trumpism. Um, right. Yeah. Right, because a lot of people don't realize, and this is something that gets lost in the news cycles a lot, uh, when, when, when people talk about, I think it's becoming more well-known, mm. but a lot of people think that evangelicals came out for Trump right away, and that is not what happened. Right. Because, and it makes sense if you think about it. Why wouldn't they have come out right away? Because they had 30 years of evangelical rhetoric uh, calling on people to have a higher standard. So if they're going to believe what they have been subscribing to for the last 30 years, then they've, they've got to, like, well, no, he's probably not the guy. And if you looked at polling based on how often people attended church, mm. um, those were the ones least likely to support Trump. And he actually didn't ever get over 50% of evangelicals all the way to the bitter end. It was mm. June... 20th, when that meeting happened, that was when they brought all the different leaders from the different factions and excluded the ones who had remained critical to kind of put some, and, and I know that so many people would, would say this is hyperbolic, mm. I don't think it is, mm. to put some prophecy around the guy. Yeah. Because the only way that you're going to be able to undo 30 years of telling people character matters is if you say, yes, character still matters, but this time it's different. Right. And that's yeah. what they did. Yeah, the more relative, relativism thing. And it, the mental gymnastics, too. I mean, the whole Cyrus thing, the, the sort of analog. Oh, yeah. It's like it, what you're saying is so interesting to me because it's sort of my, my main source of confusion based on the, specifically on the thing we're talking about right now, which is how, do, how does one group whose morality is sort of their foundation of their entire, the entire framework of their life go from that to, and, and even as you're saying, sort of reluctance to, to sort of subscribe to Trump or, or to support Trump all the mm -hmm. way to he's a vessel of God. And, and right. it wasn't even that, I mean, it wasn't that long of a period of time. So it's like how, the way that that goes, it, it, what, you, what you're saying, which is true, it's like you need, to, you need to go that far with the argument. You need to go that far as like this is an unknowing uh, uh, instrument of God, just like right. Cyrus in the Bible. Well, you how, know? Else could you, how else could you make the case? And what's right. fascinating, I'll tell you what's been fascinating since the book came out, um, I have a rule about myself when it comes to interviews. I'll just, I will go anywhere. I will go on any show. Uh -huh. And if you don't like my book, that's great. Let's talk. Uh -huh. I went on Dennis Prager's show. And uh, yesterday I went on a, um, a radio show. Just like it was a small radio show in, in Colorado. Uh -huh. And it was an evangelical show. And the experience I had on that was similar to the other more hostile interviews I've had which is a lot of times people will be expressing one of the four rationalizations I offered in the book, right. which just, you know, to let your listeners know, the four rationalizations that I identified are uh, the God, God's vessel here on earth, that you don't question the vessel because uh, he's doing works on behalf of God. Um, the second is prophecy, which is, assigning a character like an Old Testament figure, such as King Cyrus, prominently King Cyrus, uh, who was a Persian king who um, brought the Jews back into the homeland. 
And so they're saying that he's a figure like that since that king also wasn't a Christian. Right. Um, and then the third, which is, is much more widespread, would be compartmentalization. And the fourth, which I think is the largest that a lot of people fall back on, is the lesser of two evils. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, with the exception of literally King Cyrus, uh, the other rationalization, God's vessel, there are so many people now that I've interviewed with, talked to, and taken criticism from who define the very concept of a vessel of God while also denying to me that that's what people do because they, they have a theology now. Right. They have a whole theology built around this. That void that the church left was filled. And so now instead of theology related to you know, the Protestant Reformation or related to some of the oldest scholars and theologians or even more current ones, it is now a theology that's tied directly to a political party, right? The Republican Party, right? And and in your because when I think of, of how, I mean the the numbers of evangelicals in 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 polls and studies that I've seen that that are sort of like utterly unwilling to really ever leave. Trump or, or ever not vote for Trump. I mean, his approval rating among evangelicals is so high. And yeah, it was 81% um, in the 2016 election. In fact, it was still 80% Republican, even in Roy Moore's election. Um, three, there was a 3% dip in turnout, right. which I don't find that impressive given that it was a uh, a midterm and a right. midterm with a lot of controversy around it. But the fact is of the evangelicals who voted, it was still four out of five voting for the Republican. And in this case, somebody who had credible accusations of pedophilia. Why? Because they believed that there are issues such as abortion, which are of a higher level of concern than other issues. They're, they're creating a moral hierarchy where they can excuse whatever they would like as long as it's in the alleged service of something larger, despite the fact that there was literally nothing in the Senate about what we're going to do about abortion. Right. So it was a false choice to begin with. Yeah, see, that the Roy Moore thing is 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 similar but different for a reason you're saying, which is that there were credible accusations of pedophilia, which is like, yeah. I mean, you don't, to even say that's something that should drive evangelicals away is to is to understate it because that's something that yeah. every single human should think. Well, that guy obviously should not be anywhere in government or really around people, you know. And it's oh, like, I mean, you could go to some of the worst people in history and probably make the safe assumption right. that they beat the tar out of someone for molesting a child. Right. Yeah. Like it's it, it, it's a pretty universal absolute. Uh, moral. So for, uh, you know, there were, there were only a couple of ways, like, because the rationalizations, they didn't change that much. They just weren't as assigned to Roy Moore as they are to Donald Trump. Right. But it was the same concept. They weren't saying Roy Moore is a vessel of God. Right. But they were saying these other things are more important, and if Roy Moore is not there, then what God wants may not happen which is kind of defining a vessel of God, even if they don't know it. Right. So, uh, you know, 
the some people said it that way where they where they said even if he did do it this is more important others just flat out denied that that it was even possible yeah um that's which yeah the, the, the that's, what? A, that's a hard one to wrestle with because yeah. it's like, well, uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the what God wants to happen thing is is curious to me because there's all, there's like a there's a disconnect for me where where it goes from. I, I, I just I, the the blinders you put on, someone has to put on, right? To to sort mm-hmm. of say what God wants to happen is for. Abort, uh, Roe v. Wade to be overturned, and to right. do that is to is to uh, put a pedof- pedophile into the Senate. I, it just it doesn't seem like it. It just doesn't con- connect. There's no connect. There's no ability to connect that with them with any sort of like semblance. Like it, it's just well, skipping so many things. Got, if you've got a if you've got a um, a carefully crafted partisan theology that's been being assembled for decades. Mm. It isn't that hard. And, you know, this is one of the things where I didn't write about this in the book, but it's one of the areas where um, I think a lot of people who aren't in evangelicalism need to be more, cautious about what they're asking for so you'll look at an issue that matters to a lot of people like uh, gay marriage or or, or, uh, any of those issues and understandably the quick response from a lot of people is well the theology needs to update with the times right okay but that's a dangerous way to think about this because it is the kind of theology that would have prevented them from being subhuman jerks in the first place mm-hmm. already exists. Right. They just don't know it. Yeah. So when we start talking about how and a theology needs to update, it's like, back up. We need to first get them to understand what the actual theology was to begin with. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because if we start trying to mold it and shift it right now, they're going to use the same escape hatches from theology that might be offered in defense of something good to defend something bad. Right. So when it comes to, um, you know, issues of how are they bridging this gap? Um, it's, it's really just a matter of taking pieces from theology and then plugging them in where they need to. But the ultimate altar here, is not God, it's not the church. The ultimate altar is winning in the name of self-interest, which is very human, right? you know, to want your life to be good. Uh, they, they want their stuff. They want right. to protect their stuff, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so that's understandable, but they're doing it under the veil of something larger. Right, yeah. I, there, there's something you talk about, you write about in the book that, that I found particularly compelling and it's this and it's something i've thought about a lot but see just seeing it so starkly just put down as plain fact with quotes and everything when when you write about the 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 people who were hardcore railing against clinton as immoral for Mm -hmm. what he did while in office we we as in we want upstanding people to represent us uh 
in the government and uh, represent our country. And, you know, I valid concern. I, re- I distinctly remember in my own way thinking like, well, I don't know, whatever he does behind closed doors, he still aligns politically with me. At that time, right. I remember thinking that about Clinton. But what I, what I, what I, what I'm interested in, 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 in the, in the book is how you use the same people who talked about Clinton and then they talk about Trump. Uh, and it's this, it's this utterly different response to something. Oh, that's, it's the exact inverse. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it is exactly the opposite. They, I, they, they went from saying essentially that a transactional relationship with a, um, uh, morally ambiguous figure mm-hmm. um, is dangerous. And they identified a lot of reasons why. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I think, you know, especially the left, I think, tends to make a mistake when they think of a lot of these people is they think they aren't smart. Yeah. And they confuse intelligence and self-deception. An yeah. intelligent person, in my opinion, is far more capable of self-deceiving than an unintelligent one. So when you see the gymnastics that people go through, don't assume they're dumb. Yeah. And it means that when they said a lot of the things they said back then, I think in retrospect, there were things they were right. Right. A lot of the things they were saying were right. Yeah. They were saying, what message are we sending to children? This is how many children look to the president as a uh, figure to be uh, admired or that they look up to, or that they would like to be president. Are we teaching them the boys can treat girls however they want? Like, you know, all of those things were in play. Right. And the fact that they were, but the fact is they were accidentally right. Right. <laughs> or they were deceptively right. They were using the truth to get what they wanted. And then later when the truth didn't work for them, they just switched a line. Right. And, you know, so when the, when Trump came along, they switched from, transactional politics are dangerous and you're playing with fire and so on. Cause it's important to remember, it wasn't just about what he did in office. That's not what they were saying. Yeah. They, they didn't just say they, they love to claim this now. Uh, I've, I've dealt with this in interviews al- already where they're like, no, no, we were talking about what he did in office. And I'm like, no, right. You weren't. Right. You were talking about his character, which you had established had been relayed publicly long before he was even elected right because there was a history of other women and other problems prior yeah so no you you because otherwise you would have been talking about an action and you would have been saying uh judgment you wouldn't have been saying character you were saying judgment this this showed really poor judgment right no they said character right that is that is a defining quality of someone so when trump comes along they take a new tactic which is okay fine fine (laughs) He was just as bad as all the things we were saying, maybe worse, uh-huh. but he's had a conversion moment. I know he doesn't show anyone, yeah. but he's super duper Christian now. <laughs> it's just kind of new. Uh, and of course, <laughs> you know, as I was saying previously, they flip back and forth. They speak out of both sides of their mouths in order to accomplish this. So on the one hand, they'll say, no, 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 he's super duper Christian now. But then when he does something that utterly defies that concept, not that I'm saying he doesn't have a personal relationship with God, I won't make that judgment. Sure. But, you know, what his actions are showing, they switch to, um, well, we didn't elect a pastor. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> so they just they just move around and bob and weave in whatever direction they want. Now, maybe that works in politics. In fact, I know for a fact it works yeah. in politics. Yeah. 
but that's not how that's not how faith is supposed to work right i mean i I think for me it's almost like it, it actually wouldn't bother me i don't think it would bother me if if or or at least it wouldn't confuse me or or upset me in some way uh create this sort of brain pain that it does but but it's like right. it wouldn't it wouldn't disrupt my my me if I, if i if i if they just were like you know what i said that about clinton because i didn't want him to be president and i'm right. saying that now about trump because i want him to be president it's right. like if, if, if and what i'm if curious they own the partisanship. yeah exactly if, if if i'm curious if you think in their mind, they mean what they're saying, and they're just like, "Well, I can't admit that," or if they're actually just not willing to even go there and and recognize themselves as hypocrites, but shrugging it off as politics or what's necessary, or even you know something you must do uh, to advance uh, their faith or whatever it is. You know, I mean, it, yeah. Which is it? What is that? Well, this is this is the thing. I think that you know. A lot of what they end up doing, even though I think it's an enormously powerful, destructive problem, I'm not trying to diminish that by saying it this way, but a lot of the stuff really boils down to very normal human behaviors. Yeah. Because if you think about anyone who is in a situation, anybody in your life who's ever been in a situation where they don't want an outcome to be true. They don't want they're, – they're more interested in getting what they want in that moment. Maybe they told a lie, and they don't want to get caught for having lied, and so they're doing as many gymnastics as they can in order to get out of it or whatever. Totally. You know, I, it's, it's a very normal human response. And the problem here is it's a collection or an echo chamber of people reassuring each other that it's not mental gymnastics. It's actually true, mm. which – obviously helps so if you have the person who was caught in a lie and was trying to get out of it was doing all the mental gymnastics that's difficult enough to do on their own but if they got 10 people with them all saying no no no, he's totally telling the truth it's it gets a lot easier and your ability to really buy into it i gave an illustration on one of the interviews i did um where i i i have only tried it once but i'll try it again um the illustration is you've got a you know group of friends and you're going to go out to eat, and one of the guys that's that's with your group um, had a bad breakup with a girl and she works at a particular restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now he's not over it; he wants to see her, and they're trying. This group's trying to decide where to go, and he names that restaurant where his ex girlfriend works. Mm-hmm. And then all you know, the guys are like, "Dude, that's where your ex works," and 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 he's like, "No, no, 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 no. They had like a great salmon." <laughs> And I really want that salmon, you know, like if he really wants to get there so he can see her, he probably doesn't, anybody who's ever been in a bad breakup knows you don't want to believe that's what you're doing. Yeah. You want to believe, (laughs) you kidding? I'm totally over this, man. Don't even try it. Like I care so little that that's why, uh, you know, that's the perfect place for me to go. That's how little I care. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, people do this all the time and they just are doing that with their faith now. They want their stuff. They want Republican politics. They want conservatism. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they're now doing it in a way that defies everything they said previously. So they just have to find a way to be okay with it and claim they're doing something else. Yeah. Do you think this sort of like, it's a mentality of, which is totally true and it's so human to this mentality of, well, 
well, all those other people are saying this or thinking this, so it's it's more okay for me to think it. In fact, it might be that's better than what I I'm, I'm worried about or doubting. Like they seem so sure. Do you think that's been? I mean, I have to imagine it's been sort of exacerbated or accelerated by social media. I mean, that sort of like oh, snowball sure. effect of bouncing off of each other and sort of shouting into the void. I feel like that's sort of the rationalization. Well, people have a, you know, they have a difficulty seeing things they don't want to see. Yeah. I mean, that's just the truth. I'm, you know, I was in conservative politics for years. I was going to uh, tea parties. You know, I was I was doing all of that. And I will never forget in 2010, I was at uh, some kind of march, and I had a camera because I was already like a pretty politically activated person. Mm-hmm. And I came across like what looked like a controversy, like people people were arguing. And I come up on a vendor, and it's a Tea Party guy, and he's selling little like toys. And one of the toys is Barack Obama as a monkey. Okay, <laughs> and now. I had been thinking this whole time, no, no, the people saying these things, those mm-hmm. things aren't here. Right. They're not here. So I go up and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, look at this racist stuff. And then I immediately go on my phone to go find examples of George W. Bush as a monkey. Ah. Okay. So in my head, I'm thinking this proves that this guy isn't doing something racist. Right. Okay. Now, there's a reason, I guess, that stuck in my head. Somewhere deep down inside, I knew that I was trying to shield myself from responsibility so that I could get the things I wanted. Right. I wanted Republicans to win. Having a guy selling Barack Obama as a monkey doesn't help that. Right. So I need to find a way to be okay with this so I can look in the mirror. Right. It wasn't until years later, you know, and I've said this before as well, and I'll say it again. Not everybody needs a piano dropped on their head to figure stuff out. <laughs> I am one of those people that does. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it finally shook me out of my my self-deceptions. Right. And uh, I think that that's what a lot of people are dealing with now. It's not a fun thing to do. Yeah. You, you know, especially if you think somewhere in there are things that you do think are right. Like, if, if you're fighting for something, you're like, no, but I am against abortion. Right. But I am for tax cuts like i really am for those things and it's like that's fine if you really are for those things right but you you're not selling it that way yeah (laughs) you're not saying that so i should have been able to just say dude this is racist af get the fuck out of here with this crap yeah that's what i should have done right yeah yeah i mean i think that that is extremely common and human the 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 way our brains work just of trying Mm -hmm. to to not confront the shittiness of your own side especially if you perceive it to maybe damage your chances of getting what you want i mean it totally makes right. sense uh, the, the, i think and you kind of talk about this but but the 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 this happening i think long term in your eyes is ultimately not not helpful to evangelicals is that right the, yeah i think um well, let me let me let me say that differently. Actually, okay. evangelicals at this point, even though I refuse to relent on the word, I refuse to give it to them and say, "Fine, that's yours now." Right. Evangelicals as a movement have shown themselves to be able to grow. Uh, I mean, for instance, the people who are identifying 
church-wide as evangelical has been going down. Right. But despite that, it has stayed steady at 26% of the electorate. Right. So what that tells me is they are doubling down with less right. people. Right, right. Which means it's more about evangelicals as a voter block yeah. as opposed to evangelicals who are hoping to bring people to Christianity. It right. is evangelicals who are hoping to bring people to Christianity that I think are suffering at the cost of evangelicals who are hoping to vote for Republicans. One is harming the other, and they're almost two different things with the same name at this point. Right. So I, ultimately, my goal as a Christian is not to go out and try to you know, convert people through the law and through pressure and through anger and, and revenge and everything else. Right. It's to try to attract people to it. To willingly say to me, this looks interesting and something that is pleasant right. that I'd like to be a part of. They're not selling it that way. Yeah, They're selling it as something they own. Christian values is like their thing. They've got it in a little box and they put it up on a, on a shelf and they've got a shotgun and they're standing in front of it and they're daring anybody to try to take it away. Right. That's, not what a, that's not how Christian values work. You're offering those to other people. You're not protecting them for yourself. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So where where is this like what, what in your mind being close to it I and mean, being a conservative as well like where does this go? You know what I mean? Like where is this going? Well, the the separation of of um evangelicalism and the Republican Party is vital for reasons that have nothing to do with who gets in office. Mm. Um, it's vital to me from just a faith perspective. This, the, the church has to become the church again, and it can't... There's a, there is enough bullshit in the history of the Christian church that we don't need to be making more. You know, we should be... It would be great if we had, like, a a period where where there was reform. Right. Uh, you know, and and people were scared of that word. Oh, you want to reform theology? No, mm -hmm. I want to actually teach it, mm -hmm. and I I want to focus on what the church needs, and I want the church to at the same time get smaller in a lot of ways. I mean, like mega churches aren't going anywhere, but they could at the very least be more encouraging and focused on getting people into small groups, which often work better. Right. Uh, because you've got people sort of living life together and doing things together. Right. So that's the one thing in terms of evangelicals. Broadly speaking, we have a real serious problem across the board um, with absolute hatred for each other. Yeah, And it's understandable from any number of different perspectives why. But why doesn't necessarily matter as much as people want it to. Right. The fact is you can find a way to bridge the gap without sacrificing your own values. I would never suggest in a million years that we try to find a compromise with the KKK. Right. You know, that's that's not what that means. Bridging the gap between a, a vowed racist and somebody who wants unity. Bridging the gap is not finding a middle ground between you and a horrible person. Right. It's you trying to talk to the horrible person and get them to stop being a fucking horrible person. <laughs> yeah. And you can't do that if you've written them off as a human being. Yeah. 
So it's like it's a scary thing. And I've had people push back on me and they're like, you expect me to talk to somebody who doesn't think I have a right to exist? Right. And I'm like, you know, not exactly. No, I'm, I'm not saying that we send like, you know, the black caucus down to meet with avowed racists. Right. But I am saying there are some people out there who do that for a living. Right. They go out and they try to get these guys to wake the fuck up. Yeah. And we can't do that if we have decided and both sides are guilty of this. And I know people hate hearing it. We can't do that if the idea is, no, 50% of the country just needs to die. Yeah. Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see that uh, among the left now. I mean, most of my friends and the people I'm around usually are, you know, among the left. And it's like this incredible amount of genuine hatred for people on the right. And especially, and, and I remember that being true uh, of, of Bush, but but mm-hmm. now it's like, it, a lot it's of personal. Yeah. And a lot of for the reasons that we're talking about, I think that yeah. people look at the people on the left, look at the right and think, how could you possibly with a straight face want that guy as your president? And then and then right. the next thought is you're a piece of shit if you do that, which I mean, yeah. look, I get the inclination to do that. I might even sometimes agree about some people, but I don't I don't even think it matters if that's true or not. It It is not it is not helping anything to, no. to think that way. And and, to- yeah, well, and, 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 and it's so difficult, and I get this to the nth degree, it is so difficult at times because the idea is that the person who has been wronged has to do the work. Right. And that's tough. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking, like, you know, I was talking to somebody one time, and I, and and I said, look, there are a lot of openly racist assholes, um, you know, everywhere. More, it seems like every day. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are thinking and doing the same thing those guys are, mm-hmm. and they actually genuinely don't think they're racist. Right. Oh yeah. And, and it's like that's not a morally superior position, mm-hmm. but. What do you do about that? And the, the pushback was, it's no excuse to not know. And I'm like, I agree. It's no yeah. excuse not to know. But again, what do you do about that? Right. Do you, do you want to be right or do you want things to change? And I, I think that if you go in with the attitude of, I know you're wrong. And I know from like the deepest parts of my spirituality or whatever that you're wrong, but I'm also unwilling to try to convince you of that because I now see you as lesser human than me. Right. That's nothing's going to change. Everything's going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they are, to be clear, they are lesser human. I'm just saying sure, yeah, they yeah, yeah. can change. Yeah. They can change. People can. Right. Uh, and, and some of the most important figures in history have been exactly that yeah. have been somebody who came from one thing and became another. Right. And that because they can speak to the people that that aren't listening and they can speak to the people who no longer want to talk. So we need to get to that that place. And, you know, it's said a lot these days and it sounds cliche, but it's true. We need a redemptive or a forgiving uh, dialogue. We yeah. have to get to a point where it's OK to have fucked up. Yeah, uh, because if you don't give people any kind of idea that they can change 
um, and that essentially, if they relent in any way, that they're surrendering and their lives are going to be destroyed because they've already been written off from humanity. Right. What is their motivation to change? There's no incentive whatsoever. None. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no incentive to just come forward at that point because it's you, it's almost like you just got to double down, really, and right. just to survive. And I'm not making excuses for any piece of shit out there who's going to no, become a no, bigger piece of it, shit. They're, they're animals. Yeah. They're animals. Right, right. Yeah. But an animal would do the same thing. Right, yeah. And so, you know, from my perspective, and, and, you know, just to be clear also to anybody who's listening, like, I could be a piece of shit. Yeah, me too, for the record. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I talk about that in the book. Yeah, you do. And you do, that, yeah. One of the things that I really feel like I've come around to in the last few years is it's probably good for everybody to know that they can be a piece of shit sometimes. Totally, yeah. Because if you walk around constantly thinking that you walk on the side of the angels and everyone else is the bad guys, you, there's there's nowhere to go. Yeah. There's there's no evolution. There's nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and the divide remains. And right now, it, it's such a, it's, I mean, you look at every election. I mean, every recent election basically has been razor-thin margins of victory. I mean, the country's basically split right down the middle with these things and it's like if we're not if not if we're just getting further and further apart i mean again this falls into some kind of cliche category but it's like what the fuck are we gonna do just keep doing this this is not right a viable solution so yeah those people Uh, you know uh, you know i think uh um climate change is a great example of that Mm -hmm. yeah because you know you've got an issue that that uh threatens everything Mm -hmm. And you've you've got scientists issuing the warnings. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I've been in politics for a long time. I can tell you that about 10 or 12 years ago, a lot of Republicans and conservatives especially, they weren't necessarily saying this science is bullshit. Yeah. But they were skeptical. Mm -hmm. But there was kind of an attitude of, fuck you, you're getting in the way of saving the world. And it eventually became doctrine on the right to not believe it yeah because they and it's like you can again it's just like the piano thing falling on my head look you can be upset that some people are more thick-headed than others right but if if what we need here is consensus we're going the exact wrong way of doing it yeah and we're because there's an there's going to be a reaction and if, if you put people in a if you aren't willing to swallow your own pride and be the first one that's decent, even decent in the face of indecency. Like that is to me the definition of decency. Right. Is that you are decent even in the face of it. Right. Which, by the way, again, just disclaimer, I fail at constantly. Sure. But I'm talking about the ideal. Yeah, I mean, I think that's but what you're saying, the 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 only way to even get to realizing that is to first realize it about yourself. Because otherwise, you, there's no way to even recognize it about the world because then you're just doing the thing you're talking that you're trying to avoid, right. which is like right. assigning everyone else as a villain and you're still the one on the right side. Right. It yeah. doesn't do you any good to be the one good guy bringing your righteousness to the world. Like that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. You have to be like, no, listen, we're all in this shit together. Right. So I, I do hate your guts. Right. But can we like just fucking try? Yeah, and, I, and yeah. you know, I'm not one of those people who believes war is never the answer, but I really would like it to never be the answer here. Right. And and the issue is, there's no other trajectory as things stand. 
Yeah. There's no other trajectory. Yeah. We're, it is a culture war defined that way by both sides at this point. The left used to laugh at the right for calling it a culture war, and now they're calling it that too. Yeah. And it's like, if you've got a culture war and that's the mentality everybody's going to run with, they're going to employ battlefield morality. And battlefield morality to them means everything's excusable in the uh, defense of uh, winning this war. Yeah. So, you know, you've got 50% on one side of it and 50% on the other, and they both believe that that everyone is going to destroy them if they win. It's all uh, rhetorical, at least in, in public. I mean, I understand that, like, there's all kinds of violence happening uh, at the street level in a lot right. of ways, but it's 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 still like the political bloodbath right now. Mm-hmm. But eventually, yeah. What do you what, what do you think this is heading towards? Yeah, like a, a great marriage. Like I know. It's, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Just before I let you go, Ben, I'm curious as to how it goes for you out there in the world. Obviously, your ideals don't change. I mean, you're still a conservative. You're still an evangelical. You still are what you are. You're just a critic within that, which I actually, for the record, I think the left lacks entirely, and I think that's one of the biggest problems with, with, with my side of things. We don't even have our version of you which is like right. a critic inside who still, you know, isn't fucking silenced and and and, and curbed, sidelined every fucking mm-hmm. which way you look. But, well, but, you know, I'll tell you what happens. Yeah. Because you know, I, I saw it up. I saw it up close. This is one of the. This is one of the reasons that critics become rare. Mm. Um, it's not about bravery or anything like that. Yeah. It's about your resistance to seduction, mm. because the thing is, when you become useful. To your opponents, mm-hmm. they love you. Right. Yeah. 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 And so then they're like, "Come on my show." And I'm not talking about you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. like, because we're having an honest discussion. But I can tell you, I've been on shows before where it wasn't so much an honest discussion. It was how can I get you to say the things I want you to say about the people I don't <laughs> like. Right. Totally. Yeah. And but along with that is the seduction of uh, no, we you know this is amazing. What you're doing is amazing. Right. And I, eventually, if your other if the people who had been your allies are simultaneously beating you down and calling you a traitor and telling you that you're the scum of the earth and doxing you and all that shit, it starts to be like, why the fuck do I hang out with these guys <laughs> at all? I should just go be with these guys. Right. And yeah. and and then that, that that's what happens. And you know, I I occupied again. I said I had a lot of advantages here. And one of them was, um, just to get personal for a second, I went through a divorce in 2015, right as Trump was coming about. Yeah. I had a lot – I had a personal crisis, and people were asking me to cheerlead for somebody that I had spent years openly saying was a horrible person. Right. And I was just kind of like, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Right. Okay? But then simultaneous to that, because I did that, I got my eyes opened to what the right does to people. Something I thought only the left did to people, because to me, the only enemies I had were the people who attacked me. Right. And the left were the only ones who attacked me. Right. They doxed me before. But now these guys were coming after me, and they were writing articles about my marriage with, like, no, like, they were just speculating, but writing it as fact. Jeez. Um, you know, and p- publishing my addresses and phone numbers and bank account information and everything online. And I saw the cost, and I, I realized. 
yeah, all this shit that I have been feeling morally superior to, mm-hmm. I have also been protecting. Yeah. I've been protecting these guys who do the same crap. Right. And I think it's the only reason that I was able to resist this seduction right. was because in the wake of, of a, my own personal crisis, I had decided I wanted to be a better person, and I was being attacked for wanting to be a better person. So that was enough for me to just go, you know, nobody's going to get to me. Fuck everyone. Yeah. That's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I know that doesn't sound like the most loving message in the world, but sometimes you just got to embrace the idea of I'm going to plant a flag. And if people want to join me, they can, but I'm done with teams. Well, I think fuck everyone applies when everyone's trying to make you stop saying what you believe is right. And, and I, I just, I, it's, it's the, the, the orthodoxy of both sides where like, once you step out of line from what we all think, fuck, not only fuck you, but we're going to dox you and punish you is uniquely, uh, a, a unique situation to our time, you know, because of the internet yeah. it becomes so easy. But I, I mean, I'd like to think, I mean, who knows? I think this is probably too optimistic, but I, it looks like maybe people are coming to finally realize how dangerous the internet is in this realm. But I see it on both sides all the time. And it just, whether it's a small minority running the show on that side of things, it just, it, it, it yeah, just, but you know, they're, they're, I'll give you some good news. Yeah, please. Uh, the, the good news is uh, just what I said works in the church where I said I, I think it needs to get smaller, right? It mm-hmm. needs to get more personal. People need to be in smaller groups and so on. You know, I get a lot of shit for the right when I befriend former opponents. Right. A lot of times they assume I'm shifting my own ideals when I'm not. Right, yeah. But, uh, you know, I at first it, 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 it made me a little uncertain, you know, like, why is this person talking to me? Right. But uh, eventually I was just like, well, who the fuck else am I supposed to talk to? Somebody <laughs> that I don't agree with. Right. If I think that what I'm saying is a good thing. Right. And so I ended up having, a, making a ton of connections with a ton of uh, uh, liberals and progressives from people who had, you know, five followers to big blue check accounts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I found that the personal conversations game-changing yeah and that that's what we have to get back to one of my fans or whatever you want to call them wrote me and said that he liked something i said in the book where i said about social media we're all spending too much time together yeah i love that yeah he added a, a word and i thought it was great he said i'd like to change that i think it's we're spending too much time together alone yeah and i think that that is absolutely right we're all just bathing in a sea of people and talking to no one yep so we got to get back to this individual conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's the only. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it also it puts it puts your sort of like uh, it puts your own terribleness in check when you're forced to realize that the person you're shredding or ripping into or whatever, or even just criticizing, is an actual human being. You know, and I think the internet just facilitates this idea of the the you don't see the humanity unless it's forced and thrust in front of you, and even then it's easy to disregard because it's like, well, everyone else is doing it. Who cares? This is what we do in these situations. But yeah, well, yeah, the seduction works in the other way as right. well. I mean, you know, when I look back on the years of sort of being in the trenches, um, it was it was easy. Yeah, I mean, every fight I wanted to fight, I, I always had. Uh, larger followings because I wrote for Red State. Mm-hmm. And so 
I always knew that like whatever battle I wanted to go into with someone, no matter how big or small they were, there would be a legion of people behind me that were going to go attack this person as well. Right. And um, it, it makes it so it's like you think you're out there fighting the good fight, but really you're you're doing the easiest thing possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're only worrying about the people who already agree with you. Yeah. You're assigning evil to every single person who disagrees with you. And then you're patting yourself on the back for doing the brave thing of attacking people with a thousand others behind you. I mean, it's yeah. just not that impressive. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just easy to fall into the seduction of that. There's power there. Yeah, yeah. It's like a quick hit of power. It's so true. Yeah, and it is easy. Uh, all right. Well, Ben. I mean, I I really appreciate this. This is a great conversation. I love your book. If there's anything else you want to talk about, uh, I know you got a. You got a yeah. I got the kiddos. I'm I'm a, I'm I'm single dad, 26 weeks a year. Yeah, and uh, so I, I got to go deal with them. But but yeah. um, what what I would say is, uh, you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter, just do not um, do not have expectations. <laughs> but it's at Ben Howe. If you think it's going to be all uh, Bible verses, you're in serious <laughs> trouble. Um, and if you think it's going to be all, you know liberal politic agreement that uh, you're going to be disappointed as well right. <laughs> at I, the very least i i always interact so if anybody wants to talk just let me know yeah i i, I follow you and i've been a long time follower and i'm a big fan of yours and keep doing what you're doing and i really really appreciate your time and uh ben go have fun with your kid all right i appreciate it thanks for having yeah, me yeah man talk to you soon <laughs>